0: But this week, we're going to finish up chapter 16, starting with verse 16. And Jesus says, A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. So the story is told of of this wife, who her husband was uh, terminally ill and was about to die. And he had a, a last request of his wife. He asked her if she would put all the money that he has, that he's accumulated in his life, put it in a box, and put it in the casket so he could be buried with his money. Kind of kind of an unusual request. Uh, kind of sounds like maybe he didn't trust his wife with the money, I don't know, but anyway, she asked that, that he would do that thing. So a week or so passed away, uh, and he passed away <laughs> uh, as well, and so they're at the funeral home and uh, the memorial service is over. Before they close the casket, the wife walks up with a box, puts it in the casket, and they, they shut the lid. And she goes to sit back down and one of her friends sitting next to her, you you didn't really do that, did you? You didn't box up all of his money and put it in that casket. Did you? Seriously? Did you do that? She said, Well, I promised him I would. She said, so I wrote him a check put it in the box, and if, and if he can cash it <laughs> where he's going, then, then fine, but otherwise. So this wife kept the promise, or at least she <laughs> perceived that she kept the promise. So we're going to be looking at several things in our passage this morning. Uh, the first one that we're going to start off with is the verse we just looked at, a promise. If you're a note taker, we're going to have four things we're going to look at this morning, and the first one is, a promise. And we see from this verse, Jesus says, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Now we've looked at, just to summarize over the past several months, Jesus talking to his disciples uh, in the upper room. uh, You would see that uh, called the upper room discourse is what it's referred to. But it's just Jesus communicating and talking with, sharing with, encouraging his disciples in the upper room, and as we saw a couple weeks ago, then moving from that place uh, towards the garden. And when we get into chapter 17 next week, obviously, that's where he will be, is in the garden, and he will be praying this prayer. But they're still moving to that place, or maybe they've gotten to that place, and he's just sharing the last few things with his disciples to better prepare them and equip them for what's about to take place. And so he gives them this promise. He's basically saying, I'm leaving, I'm going away, but you will see me again. Now, we know from our study in the book of John, this is not the first time that he has said this. It's not the first time that the disciples would have heard it. He has said it several times to them and to others. He said it to the Jews in John chapter 7, verse 33. He said it to the people, to the crowds, uh, in John chapter 12, verse 35. And then he's also said it to his disciples before, in John chapter 13 and John chapter 14. But for some reason, evidently, this is the first time his disciples really heard it. They really took in what he was saying to them. But hearing it and understanding it are two entirely different things, aren't they? Now, I don't think Jesus saying this um, necessarily refers to the time that He's going to spend with them between His resurrection and between His ascension into heaven. That 40 days when He comes back and He he, uh, appears again to the disciples, I don't think it's referring to that because I believe at the end of this verse gives us the clue why. It says, because I go to the Father. So, a little while you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. So you're going to see me because I go to the Father. The inference, of course, is that he will be with the Father, and they will too at some point in time. But nevertheless, as you look at that verse, it's a promise, it's a promise to them. And we know God doesn't break his promises. It's not a part of his nature to ever, ever go back on that which he has promised. We do, but he doesn't. How many of you figure you've broken a promise in the past week or the past month? Uh, guys, your wife goes off to do something, and don't worry, honey, I'll take care of the house today. Well, first of all, we got to define what that phrase means. And if the wife hasn't defined it already, then we get to, don't we guys? <laughs> So, I promise that I'll do this or I'll do that. Now, if you don't use those words, I will promise, I kind of leave, it, leaves you a way out, doesn't it? No, not necessarily, because if you say, I will do this or I will do that, we take that on, on your word that, that that will be done, right? It's, it's a promise. We understand what it means, but yet, we <laughs> have a tendency to break our promises, don't we? God never does that. Never. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? We know that God follows through on his promises. Now, by the way, as you look at that verse, and it says, nor a son of man, you do see that that's lowercase. That's not talking about Son of God and Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is talking about us, Son of Man. We we fall short in that area. God never does. God's promises are God's guarantees. If God promises us, you can be guaranteed that that thing will come to pass or that thing will happen. So then Jesus makes promises. Jesus being God, Jesus' promises are God's guarantees. So if Jesus promises it, it's going to come past as well. So God never goes back on His promises, and His Word is chucked full of promises that we can uh, learn from, grow in, trust in. So verse 17 then says in our text, Then some of His disciples said among themselves, What, what is this that He says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is this that he says? A a little while. We don't don't know what he's saying. Now, this conversation is going on between them, right? (laughs) In the presence of Jesus, but amongst themselves. It's kind of like back, uh, the story with the woman at the well, and they come back. Jesus had sent them to town for food, didn't he? And they come back with food. And they said, Master, here, eat. And he said, I, I have all I need of the Father, you know, to eat. So I'm not, you know, basically, I'm not hungry. And they're like, well, you're not hungry. Send us to sound for food. They're talking amongst themselves. Well, well when did he get something to eat? All I see is, well, what's going on here? You know, all this kind of rumblings going on. And you, you almost picture Jesus. I, well, I know, he'd be kind of like, oh, these guys, these guys. But Jesus is not that way, is he? He's very patient. Uh, with all of us, thank God. But we have the disciples talking about Jesus rather than to Jesus. Talking about Jesus rather than to Jesus. He's right there, just asking. (laughs) He's right there. He has the answers to everything, but they're uh, back and forth. Why not just ask Him? Uh, But there's a lesson for us in that as well, isn't there? We do that. We seek counsel from friends, books, the Internet, When Jesus is right there available to us through the power of His Holy Spirit to just ask Him to guide and direct us in whatever the circumstance, we will or we have a tendency to look for answers in all the different places rather than just going to Jesus Himself who is there available to us to guide us and to answer those things. So in verse 19, now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? <laughs> it's kind of, you, you read that, it's kind of humorous. but Yeah, they are, and he knows it. But he asked them, are you inquiring about, amongst yourselves about what I said a little while, and you will not see me? And again a little while, and you will see me? So there's a couple phrases to look at in there. One is a little while. What's your definition of a little while, right? Maybe you've heard the story of the man talking to God about this very thing. He said, ask God, God, what is a little while to you? And God said, a little while to me is like a million years. The man pondered that and then he asked, God, what is a million dollars to you? And God answered, well, a million dollars is, is like to me is like a penny. The man pondered again and said, God... Can I have a million dollars? And God said, in a little while. (laughs) But God's promises are God's promises regardless of the time frame, right? What he says he will do, we can trust in that. We can rely upon that. We know that there's promises that he's already made that have already come to pass. We know there's promises that he has made that are still being worked out in our lives even now. And we know that there's promises that he has for us in the future, that we can trust in that will happen. We can rely upon those things. What He says, He will do. Now, I want to challenge all of us uh, this, this morning. As we go throughout our week or the next few weeks, take the time to look into God's promises. Now, based on what I just said, I, I don't... <laughs> I'm going to ask you, go ahead and go on the Internet and just type in the promises of God and see the things that pop up. Uh, Go into your concordance and look at the word promise. To try to find and look at, seek out as many of the promises of God as you can find in His Word. See how many of them have come to pass. See how many of them God's working out in your life right now and see how many of them are future. Just to be encouraged by all of the promises of God. There's an old gospel song that in the chorus it says, you can't stand on promises if you don't know what they are. (laughs) There's a lot of truth to that, right? If I don't know what the promise is, how can I rest in it? How can I trust in it and rely upon it? But God's word is full of promises that we should know. Promises that we can trust in. Promises that we can find comfort in. Promises that we can find peace in. His promise, in a little while you will see me. It should bring to our remembrance a verse. We've talked about that over the past few weeks, haven't we? That verse that we looked at a couple chapters ago. He will bring this helper, the Holy Spirit that we're going to receive. He will bring to remembrance all things that Jesus has said. He's doing that for us this morning. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. His promise to them and to us, you will see me in a little while. It's a promise. You are going to be with me if you believe in me, if you have trusted in me as your Savior and Lord, you will be with me, In heaven, I go to prepare a place for you. It's a promise. We can rest on that. So we have this promise that He's given us as we start off this text this morning, but we also have a principle. So we've got a promise, number one, and number two is we have a principle. And that principle we're going to see is your sorrow will be turned to joy. Verse 20, Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Sorrow will be turned into joy. Well, Why and and how? How does that happen? Well, in Christ, sorrow turned to joy is a principle for us to live by. It's a principle for us to hold on to. That no matter what we're going through at at this given time, no matter what we may go through in the future, if it brings sorrow, if it brings anxiety, worry, stress, angst, we can know that that's going to be transformed into joy. The object of our pain presently will produce great joy eventually. The object of our pain presently will produce great joy eventually. He emphasizes that very thing in the next few verses. Verse 21, A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. So to illustrate this sorrow being transformed into joy... Jesus speaks of a woman woman going through labor and childbirth. Now, guys, we're just going to have to trust this analogy. We can't really relate to this one entirely, can we? Probably the, the closest we can come is, is definitions maybe like these. Having a baby for men would be like pulling your lower lip completely over your head. Think about that. Or... Pulling a small dog out of your nose. (laughs) Right? Maybe kidney stones. Guys, how many of you have had to deal with kidney stones before? Very painful. I've had to suffer through kidney stones several times myself, but I have never had a seven-pound kidney stone. Okay? (laughs) You're getting the picture here. So, guys, it's hard for us to relate. We're just going to have to trust in this analogy. Ladies, you know if you've had kids what's being said here. There's pain that you go through. There's sorrow related to that pain that you're experiencing at the time, but it's going to be transformed into joy when the child is born. So the sorrow that gets turned into joy is that no matter what we are going through temporarily, we will be with Jesus eternally. So the sorrow is turned to joy. So we can live our lives with and in joy because of what we have to look forward to, right? When we go through sorrow and pain, the Lord doesn't take away that which caused the pain and replace it with something else to bring joy. Joy doesn't come about by substitution. It happens through transformation. The same baby that caused the pain also caused the joy, right? That's what Jesus is trying to say here. Sorrow transformed into joy. Think about it this way. It's also like defeat. Transformed into victory. Think think of Jesus himself who took the cross, the cross being a symbol of defeat and shame in those days, and he transformed it into a symbol of victory and glory. Right? We look to the cross now. We don't see it as a place of defeat and shame. We look at it as a place where the sacrifice that was made so that we might be saved is transformed into joy for what it stands for. So joy, true joy, only comes through Christ Jesus, knowing Him, believing in Him, trusting in His promises. It's a principle we should live by, joy in Christ. Do you have joy? Do you, do you live in joy? We should, but our lives are different. We are different. We respond to things in different ways. We say, well, that's just not the way that I'm built, or that's not the way that I'm wired. I had a guy tell me that this week. I'm just not wired that way. And I said, maybe God wants to rewire you. (laughs) Because we say, that, well, that's just the way that I am. God doesn't want to leave us the way that we are. He wants to change us and transform us by his sanctifying work in our lives. But each one of us, we are built different. We're different characters, aren't we? Boy, some of you are really characters. But think about or relate that to, this is going to be a stretch, so stay with me, relate it to the stories and the characters in Winnie the Pooh. Are you like Pooh, this free-spirited little bear that's careless, not really all that smart? Oh, bother, he says a lot. Are you like Piglet, uh, timid? timid, uh, He scares easily. Also likes to blow dandelions. I don't know if you guys know that about uh, piglet. But think about that for a second. Are you one that likes to blow dandelions? (laughs) Kind of a strange thing. It's, It's fun, but to do it on a regular basis, just walking through the field. So maybe you're that way. I don't know. Then there's the owl. Wise, opinionated, oftentimes boring. Anybody like that? There's Tigger, the character that's happy, bouncy, trouncy, flouncy, pouncy, fun, 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 full of joy. I think joy would describe his character, wouldn't it? Then you have Eeyore. Eeyore's is very intelligent, keeps to himself most of the time, seems to be always depressed. And his biggest problem in life is his tail keeps falling off, Right? Not really. His biggest problem is is that they reattach it always with a nail. (laughs) No wonder the guy's depressed, you know? But you know Eeyore. They say good morning Eeyore and Eeyore responds how? Have a good day if it is a good day, which I doubt. So Eeyore is not an image of joy, is he? He's not a bringer of joy. In your life do you bring joy wherever you go or do you bring joy whenever you go? There's a big difference, right? Do you bring joy wherever you go or do you bring joy whenever you go? Do you exhibit true joy in whatever the circumstance? The joy of trusting in, living in God's promises for you. Only Jesus, the work that Jesus has done, only Jesus can turn, transform sorrow into joy. Only He can do that. So in these verses we have so far a promise. Jesus saying, I'm leaving but I'll be back in a little while. We have this principle of your sorrow will be turned into joy. And now the verses we're going to look at a privilege. A promise, a principle, and a privilege. A privilege Jesus is telling his disciples basically, I'm I'm going to give to you the power of prayer, the privilege of prayer. Verse 23, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Last week we talked about memorizing Scripture. Some of you indicated that you you do that on a fairly regular basis. Some of us would admit we're not as good about it. But this is a verse that I think is worth memorizing, verse 24. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. For what purpose? That your joy may be full. So that, coupled with what we just looked at, connects the two together. If we've got sorrow and we go to the Lord and we pray in His name, Asking that he would bring joy into our lives. What does he say? Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. It might. It's not just a little bit of joy, is it? That doesn't indicate just a small portion of joy. That your joy may be full. Full to overflowing joy is what he's talking about there. I'm giving you the privilege of coming to me, coming to the Father in prayer in my name, and asking for these things Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 great verse says be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus now in this verse We're going to leave this slide up for a while because we're going to be looking at it for just a little while here, but there's a couple of commands in these verses that we sometimes miss. The first one is, don't be anxious about anything. It doesn't say, it's okay to worry about this or be anxious about this, but not these things. It says, be anxious for what? Nothing. In the Greek, nothing means nothing, so anything. Says, don't fret, don't worry, don't be anxious about anything. That's one command. The next one is make your request known. Your request, your needs, your concerns, your questions. You don't need to be anxious because you can go to Him with your request. It's the privilege, the privilege of prayer. When we have questions, we should go to Him. In our walk with the Lord, two things we must always remember that He knows the answer, always. And he also knows the question before we even ask. We see it time and time again in the life of the disciples, don't they? They're off the side, rumbling, you know, going on, talking. He knows the very thing that they're inquiring about. He knows the questions that they have and he has the answer. So whatever we're going through, we can trust and rely upon the fact that Jesus not only has the answer, he he already knows what the question is. So it seems like, it sounds crazy, but it seems like, that would be the place to go, doesn't it? <laughs> why not go to the one that not only knows the answer, but he already, already knows the question before we even ask it. <laughs> so, he's the one that knows. He knows what's on our hearts and minds, so why not just talk to him about it? He wants to talk with us about it. He desires to, and is, available to us to answer our question. The text says that Jesus knew that they desired to ask Him. He knows what questions we have. He knows what troubles us. He knows and He cares because He loves us. Now, we have this privilege of a prayer, and we all know that there's only three answers to prayer, right? Yes, no, and wait. Yes, we like. No, we immediately think, well, maybe not now. So, maybe later... Wait is strictly that, wait. Whether it's going to be yes or no, we don't know, but he says, I want you to wait. We hate wait, don't we? Wait is painful. (laughs) Many times we would rather have the answer no than wait because at least we know, right? Wait just seems to drag on and on. Wait. So it's not always an immediate answer. It's not always our preferred answer. But He knows what we can handle. He knows what is necessary at the time. We know that He's an ever-present help in time of need. So He's going to answer it according to His perfect will, according to His perfect timing. When He wants to answer it, what we have to be obedient in is still coming before Him and asking, don't we? Does it mean He's never going to answer our prayers if we never ask? No. No. Sometimes he answers things for us before we've even prayed about it. Because he can, (laughs) because of who he is. But he desires for us to come before him, to bring these things to him, especially when it comes to the area of sorrow. He knows that the uh, disciples are sorrowful at this point because he keeps telling them he's going away. They don't want him to go away. So he encourages them, brings joy to them by saying what? just for a little while, and then you'll see me again. Verse 25. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from God. So all that's about to take place, with Jesus going to the cross and being crucified, dying for our sins, then he's resurrected from the dead, comes back, spends a few uh, days with the boys, and then he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, right? But also we know from Scripture that when Christ died on the cross, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, that it ripped from top to bottom, opening up in full visible sight the Holy of Holies for the first time for all to see. God declaring what? Open house. You now can come directly to me in Jesus' name because of what Jesus did. So now we have the privilege of prayer. We have the privilege, the opportunity to go directly to the Father, praying to the Father in Jesus' name. Jesus said in verse 26, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. He is there to intercede for us, but we have the awesome privilege of having an audience with the Father. You think about all the people uh, in government. I don't know, maybe we don't want to think about all the people in government, but for this purpose this morning, think about that. Those people that are in a prominent position that have the privilege of having the president's ear, being able to talk to the president. What a privilege, right? I mean, anyone that holds a position of authority that we have the opportunity to actually talk to, we consider it a privilege, uh, Chris and the girls will tell you, several years ago, we were planning a men's conference over in Greeley. And for some of you, you may know, you may not know, there's a pastor down at Calvary Chapel in Broomfield by the name of Richie Foray. Now, Richie Ferre, he was in, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He sang with Buffalo Springfield. He sang with Poco. Uh, if you're familiar with secular rock groups, maybe some of those names uh, you're familiar with. Uh, I just happen to be, uh, just because of what p- people have told me, but <laughs> I remember Richie Frey. I remember him singing with those groups. And so I thought, wow, it would be so cool if Richie could come up and do worship for our men's conference. Well, it can only be three answers. Yes, no, or wait. And I, <laughs> So I thought, well, I'll call Richie and see if it's a possibility. Call the church. At that time, I'm on staff over in Greeley, so I thought I'll play the pastor card myself. This is Pastor Jim up at Calvary Greeley. Uh, Hey, could I talk to Richie for a minute? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Hey, Richie, (laughs) the phone. Wow, that was easy. Hey, Richie, it's Jim Carlton. I told him who I was, and uh, here's what we got going Wondered if you and just by yourself or your band or whatever might want to come up and, and um, share and worship at our men's conference. He said, yeah, I'd love to do that. When is it? You know, I told him, and he said, Let me look at my calendar. He looks at his calendar. And he goes, Yeah, count on it. We'll be there. You know, what time do you need us there? What's the format? All that, you know. So I know I drove Chris and the girls crazy for several days because I made constant reference to Richie, you know, like, <laughs> Richie. Richie and I, you know, we're buds, <laughs> we're tight, <laughs> Richie, me and Richie, you know, <laughs> like we're best friends or something, you know, and to this day, I, I think he probably still remembers who I am, you know, that annoying assistant pastor from Greeley, hey Richie, hey Richie, hey Richie, <laughs> but I felt, I, I felt privileged to have Richie's ear, even for just the short time that I did, because I see him as someone who's in a position of authority, someone I look up to, and I have his ear. That privilege of having access to that particular person, whoever that is. You guys might have people like that in your own lives. Uh, Think about that from the perspective of we have that with the Lord even more so. Because not only do we have audience with the Lord, he will listen to us, he will hear us, he actually wants to listen to us and hear us. But we have this other thing that goes along with that. He has the power to do whatever it is that we ask Him to do, doesn't He? If it's His will, of course. But He has the power to accomplish the very thing that we're asking for. So if we go before Him, Lord, I'm, I'm really feel, feeling sorrowful. Lord, can You work in me and through me to, to bring about joy in this situation? And He can do that. It's the promise that He will transform our sorrow into joy, whether it be in the short term or in the long term if He makes us wait. But we know for a fact that eternally we're going to have joy in Him. Because we have that joy in Him eternally, we should be enjoying the joy right now, shouldn't we? The joy of knowing that we're going to spend eternity with the Father. So He says... We're not, in Philippians, we're not to be anxious, worried, or having sorrow, but we're to go before the Father with our prayers and supplications, with an attitude of thanksgiving. Why an attitude of thanksgiving? Well, thanksgiving just for the simple fact that we have the privilege of going to Him, right? Giving thanks for that. Do you ever think about that? That when you sit down to pray, or you're talking with God, you're talking to the Creator of the universe? You know, I don't I whoever's ear you could have, that's a big ear, right? <laughs> that is the ultimate in who it is that we can talk to, is it not? And we can talk to him about anything. And we should talk to him about anything. Why? He knows it already. <laughs> he knows what our questions are. He knows what's going on in these crazy minds of ours. And he already has the answer for that. He's already got it worked out. By doing this, we have another promise from Him, from that verse in Philippians. He will grant to us peace that passes understanding. He will give to us a peace about the situation that goes beyond our understanding of the situation. How many times have you ever been in a place in your life where you go, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) I go there a lot. I just do. Uh, maybe that's the way I'm built. I don't know which poo character that is, but it's the way I'm built. What is going on? Well, who knows? God knows exactly what's going on. And we don't understand. We don't understand why this is going on or that's going on, why we're in this situation or that situation. We lack understanding. He may eventually give us understanding, but here's what He promises. He's going to give us peace that what? Passes the understanding. He's basically saying, it's not time for you to fully understand it. I haven't revealed that to you yet, but I tell you what I will do. I promise that I will do. I'll give you a peace about it beyond the understanding of the situation. We don't understand it. He does, and He gives us a peace even without understanding it. And also, if you see in that verse, an added bonus. What's that? It says He will guard our hearts and minds from the very things that cause us stress in the first place <laughs> so that they no longer stress us out. So He gives us a peace that passes understanding, but He's also going to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus for that very thing, right? So that we don't go there any longer. If we depend upon Him, if we rely upon Him, He wants to take us from being stressed out to being stressless having a peace about the situation, and actually removing it from our hearts and minds altogether so we're not stressed or have anxiety over it any longer. What what a verse loaded with promise. There's another good one for you to memorize. It'll be a test next week. So (laughs) as long as we keep going to Him for the strength, realizing that we make that initial prayer, Lord, help me in this situation, He gives us a peace, he starts guarding our hearts and minds, and what do we do? We go back there again, don't we? Uh, how many of you, you know who Corey Tinboom is? Have you heard her name before? She, I don't know if it originated with her or not, but she said, God will take all of our sins out to the deepest part of the ocean and drop them in the ocean so that they sink to the very depths, and then she, he puts up a no fishing sign because he knows our propensity, doesn't he? I'm going to go back out there and, hey, I'm going to pull up that sin again. Cast out there and pull up that thing that caused me stress and anxiety to start with. God wants to remove it completely from our mind. Even if we don't have the full understanding of what was going on there, He'll reveal it to us eventually, but He wants to give us a peace about it. Again, verse 24 tells us, Until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be complete. Jesus is basically saying to them and to to us, because I have access to the Father and because of what I'm going to do for you, actually in the next 24 hours at this time, you will now have access to the Father in my name. Jesus is saying to them and to us, this privilege of prayer that you now have in being able to ask the Father for anything in my name is only possible Because of the relationship that you have with me. Very difficult to pray in Jesus' name if we don't even know who Jesus is, right? Very difficult. And he's saying, and it will bring about fullness of joy. Have sorrow, pray. The privilege of prayer and turn sorrow into joy. So in these verses, we have a promise. I'm leaving, but you'll see me again. We have a principle. Your sorrow will be transformed into joy. We have a privilege, granting to us the privilege and power of prayer, direct communication with the Father. But also, number four, a position. A position. You are in me. We're going to see that. Verse 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. You're speaking plainly now. We understand you, Jesus. Why have you been speaking plainly before? We understand now. That's it. We get it. You're speaking plainly. We get what you've been saying. Now we understand. Now we believe. What's he saying in the next verse? Jesus answered him, Do you now believe? (laughs) Jesus totally understood that they thought they understood, but they really didn't at this time, did they? They didn't understand the full depth of what Jesus has been saying to him, but they will. When they receive the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, He, the Helper, will bring to their remembrance all things that He taught them, all things that He said and will say. But that's going to be in the days to come. For now, He tells them how they will respond to the events that are about to take place. Do you now believe? Verse 32, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet... I am not alone because the Father is with me. We have the accounts of what they do during his trial and crucifixion before his resurrection. The disciples, their reaction to this chain of events that take place. They do scatter. The disciples scatter just as Jesus is saying here. They do leave him alone. But Jesus says to them here, yet I am not alone. Because the Father, the Father Himself is with me. Verse 33 These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. As believers, we're often referred to as the Lord's army or uh, Christian soldiers. We are the army of the Lord. But we always have to remember that as soldiers of the Lord, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory because He has already overcome the world. Any tribulation that we run into in this world, He has already overcome that. And He says to us, be of good cheer. These things I have spoken to you, these things, all I have been teaching you, all I have been showing you, I've spoken to you that in this world you will have tribulation, but you can have joy and peace. Why? How? Just as he says, because I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. But in this verse, what's the key phrase? What's the thing that should stand out to us the most? Two words, in me. In me, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In me, all of these things are yours if you are in me. It speaks of position. Where are you? Are you in Christ or not in Christ? He says in me. If we are in Jesus, if our position is in Jesus, if we are positionally in Jesus, We've seen and we've read all of the benefits of being in Him that He's has shown us as we've gone through even all of the book of John so far. We've seen and we've read all of these benefits, all of the promises, the principles, the privileges, all available to us if we are positionally in Him. And Jesus would ask us the same question He asked His disciples in verse 31. Do you now believe? Do you now believe for your salvation, for your sanctification? Are you in me? Do you now believe? Amen.